This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1166. And at least I think it's 1166, it might be 1167. <laughs> it is entitled in any case, because I am a human being, not a number. Well, actually, sorry neither. I spy with my little eye something beginning with S and today's podcast title is a spy versus spotter for reasons which will no doubt manifest themselves as horripilations or furry little legs climbing up the back of your neck during the course of today's show now everything in the genre has kicked up into warp drive with new episodes of shows dropping on all the streaming services and on netflix the good place is finally going to the really bad place as they close down the special psychological hell experiment that has been the ensemble cast's home for the first two seasons and they head for hell proper in a bid to win through to the real good place, a.k.a. heaven. Dante would have been angry and confused and that's really only the two emotions that he needs. This is actually... The Good Place is actually my sitcom of the moment. You know, how you just cleave unto some particular show that uh, tickles your fancy and this one does indeed in the marmalade forest, forest. between the make-believe tree g'day i'm brett mckenzie i played an elf from lord of the rings my dad played ellen doll the king you're listening to zero g on three triple r and i have one thing to say my name is figwood the elf you killed my father prepare to die yeah, we could do that, or we could just continue listening to Zero G, which I'm assured is a fate worse than Darth. Oh, I think that's probably a typo there. Curse you, autocorrect. On to Star Trek Discovery. Off we go into the black with today's show. S is for many different things, and S is for Star Trek. New episodes have dropped on Netflix of this show. We have the second of these coming aboard tonight here in Australia. Last week's story, Season 1, Episode 10, was called Despite Yourself, and it was actually directed by Jonathan Frakes, who, of course, played Commander Will Riker, and at least one doppelganger in Star Trek The Next Generation. Now, Frakes is also a director known for helming assorted episodes of various frequently science fiction genre television series, as well as several feature films. He's also directed episodes across the Star Trek franchise from Next Gen, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Other television shows he's worked on include Roswell, the 2002 Twilight Zone series, Joss Whedon's Dollhouse, Castle, and that's uh, (laughs) um, Rick Castle, not Frank Castle, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Librarians, and in an almost inevitable twist, the Orville episode Priya, and Frakesy's 
feature films include the well-received Star Trek First Contact, the time-bending movie Clock Stoppers, and two pretty good entries in the librarian franchise when it did its telemovie bit. He's also less happily known for the 2004 Thunderbirds movie and Star Trek Insurrection. Frakes continues to act, including voice acting, and has contributed to cartoon series like The Superhero Squad Show, where he plays the High Evolutionary, and The Guardian to the Galaxy Show, where he voices Star-Lord's father, Jason, Emperor of Spartax. Star-Lord has a much different backstory in the comic books than he has in those movies. Anyway, it's pretty clear that Frakes knows his Star Trek movies. I think he did rather well here, bringing a cinematic feeling to a story that needed to be writ larger than an episode. And it's written by Sean Cochran, who's done some other stories as well. Now, in Despite Yourself, the show boldly goes where several of the other incarnations of Star Trek have gone before, which is to say, to the Mirror Universe. Now, that was invented by writer Jerome Bixby. It was first experienced in the classic Trek episode Mirror, Mirror back in 1967. It's what it says on the box, basically a parallel universe where the characters of Star Trek are evil instead of good, although some of the evil ones are still pretty evil. And uh, Terran Empire rules the galaxy with a fascist armoured gauntlet. This is not your father's United Federation of Planets. It's um, rather like the Klingons used to be in classic Trek, right down to the specialised pain-inflicting agoniser hand weapons and much larger torture chambers. These are not nice people. Seeing Star Trek reversed, what would that be anyway? Star Trek backwards. uh, Kurt Ratz. Uh, proved it's so much evil fun for both actors and audience that the uh, the Mirror Universe was revisited in five episodes of Deep Space Nine and in two eps of Star Trek Enterprise. Well, now, the USS Discovery, as we know when we left her during the hiatus before Christmas, dropped out of its magic mushy spore drive and ended up in the Mirrorverse. Yes, they travel using a very odd... <laughs> Fungi network. Okay, well, you know, it used to be um, magic crystals, magic dilithium crystals, now it's magic mushies. All is not what it seems. And uh, some are not who they seem. It appears all but confirmed, and now we enter the spoiler zone. It appears all but confirmed that Security Chief Tyler actually is a Klingon spy subjected to heavy brainwashing and massive genetic re-engineering and radical surgery. Or I could be wrong. He might be a human who's had all that done to him, who thinks that he's a Klingon spy but actually is a human. They could be playing the double game there. Now, this is not the first rodeo in science fiction where the horse of a different colour actually turned out to be that. Klingons have been disguised as humans and humans have been altered to pass as Klingons. And sometimes all it takes is a bit of prosthetic makeup and a couple of contact lenses and a fake beard. Well, and don't forget that the Klingon officer who's imprisoned on board the Discovery at the moment, Laurel, she's from a Klingon house that specialises in espionage and fakery and trickery and Loki-like tricks. No, that's Laurel, not Loki. In the course of this story, 
Security Chief Tyler kills the Discovery's doctor, who was the chief engineer's partner. And won't the chief engineer be upset when he comes out of his spore-induced coma? I don't think he'll have much room for compassion for Tyler if he finds out that he'd done it. They actually have a Manchurian test that the doctor mentioned before he got killed, uh, which is designed to pick out... um, traitors and doppelgangers and uh, other people who might infiltrate the starship. About time they had something like that (laughs) after umpteen different incarnations of the series where they've always been hijacked and taken over. But it doesn't seem to work this time (laughs) because Tyler slipped through. Although he actually is pegged as having something radical done wrong to him and that's of course why Tyler killed the Doctor. It reminds me a bit of the Agent Ward scenario in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the first season. Now, if you watch that season, the characters sort of settled down as they went along during the first the first run of the show, um, some more than others. Uh, some were delightful, some were not so cleverly written. Uh, eventually, we all ended up at the end of the first season, but people kind of thought universally that um, Agent Ward was just too square-chinned and, and good to be true. Uh, And that's how it actually proved. Um, Yes, he was Mr. Bland, but there was a reason for that. He was trying to maintain his Hydra agent deep cover. So when that little bomb dropped, it turned everything on its head. And I think maybe um, that's part of what's happened to uh, Tyler. He seemed to be the very sympathetic person and uh, the man who'd suffered um, for suffering from post-traumatic stress, i.e., or i.e., Klingon torture. And so they've uh, done a bit of a reversal in the character now. But is he the only one? And this is speculation, and some of the fans out there have speculated about this too, and again, spoilers, well, not really, but we don't know yet. Uh, Captain Lorca of the Discovery, he's always seemed way too ruthless for a Starfleet officer, for a captain in particular. Uh, and I don't know if it's just the war situation that he's involved in for the Klingons. Could it be that because it's because he actually isn't Starfleet? They're in a mirror universe. Is he actually from there? Because they've had crossovers back into Star Trek Prime Universe before from the Mirrorverse. So is Lorca actually the Mirror Universe version of himself? And if so, what happened to the real Captain Lorca? Did he swap over? Was he killed? Um, and is in the Mirrorverse, the uh, Cap- Lorca is actually a rebel, um, although he was actually in their uh, Terran Empire fleet. He jumped ship at one stage. Now, whether or not he did that because he himself wanted to become emperor of the Terrans or because he actually genuinely disbelieved in what they were doing, which, of course, was smashing everybody that wasn't human and a good deal of those too. So, time will tell. Whether or not we've got a reason to think that he doesn't quite sit well in the uh, Starfleet, Star Trek, United Federation of Planets, goody two-shoes universe. One of the delights of this episode was seeing everyone naughty up to play their villainous counterparts. Uh, Of course, um, Ensign uh, Tilly became um, (laughs) Captain Killy, uh, complete with salacious mirrorverse uniform. Um, She had a great line in that, um, talking to one of the characters. If you greeted me that way, I'd cut your tongue out and use it to lick my boots. (laughs) 
uh, Captain Lorker, when uh, he was called upon to do pretend to be a chief engineer, he trotted out his Scotty accent. <laughs> that was fun. Although for um, for Michael, uh, her character becoming a uh, uh, an evil captain, I didn't find that too big a stretch. She's like halfway there anyway. But I enjoyed Frakes's um, directing of this story. I thought the story was good too. Uh, it certainly is classic Star Trek to go off to the Mirrorverse. So who knows where this will end because they're doing a bit of a story arc with this. So we'll continue on. I'm betting that we're going to see some uh, more aliens tonight in the uh, Star Trek episode, mostly because I've seen some pictures, but also because uh, the rebels also include people who are not humans in this universe. It's all very speciesist, and the uh, the Earth humans tend to frown upon anyone who's not of their stock, which means that the Vulcans and the Andorians and the Klingons are a bit on the outer if not outright destroyed. It's actually kind of hard um, factoring in all of the different changes and trying to remember who is on whose side there. But kind of think like um, Star Wars and the Empire, uh, which they're not really all that big on aliens there. So kind of like that. But anyway, you'll see on tonight on Star Trek Discovery, which drops on... Netflix, the second episode of the current crop. They're still in the first season, but they had a break during Christmas. Ah, the fools, the mad fools. Maybe they don't even celebrate Christmas in the um, in the mirror universe. That's quite quite possible. Hi, I'm George Takei, and I play Admiral Sulu in Star Trek. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, Admiral. Hey, a guy can dream, can't he? <laughs> We're looking at things that start with S today. I spy with my little eye something that begins with S. And next we've got some books about spiders. <laughs> now, these books are in a trilogy. It's called The Hatching Trilogy. And it's by Ezekiel Boone. Golance publication. The first one's a trade, big trade paperback, and the second one isn't. So we're well into the trilogy now. I think the third book is called uh, Zero Hour or some such. And uh, Ezekiel Boone also writes as Alex Zentner, uh, Z-E-N-T-N-E-R, who's written some very much acclaimed less spidery novels, including Touch and the Lobster Kings. So when he's not slumming it in the mainstream <laughs> fiction, he is Ezekiel Boone, who's Canadian-born but now lives in uh, upstate New York. It's a very efficient, well-teased-out s- series of books, some very clean prose. I, I would almost say tr- stripped to the bone, but that's probably not something you want to hear at lunchtime, especially with a spider apocalypse waiting in the wings. Now, I'm not an arachnophobe and I've got no more than the usual caution around little beasties. If your only crime is being in the wrong place at the wrong time, spider, I'll say inside my house, I maintain a catch and release outside policy. However, as it happens, I have seen rather a lot of spidery horror movies and Voila, I am a fan of this subgenre. Uh, eight-legged freaks, kingdom of the spiders, arachnophobia, tarantula, big-ass spider, Doctor Who and the Planet of the Spiders, for that matter. Um, but these books put me more in mind of another spider 
Holocaust. Richard Ryan's 1997 Australian set, a funnel web, which had it all happening down under. Ugh. <laughs> uh, image from that book, um, giant, giant, ginormous, humongous funnel web um, infesting the sales of the Sydney Opera House. <laughs> oh dear. These books remind me a little bit of that. Perhaps not quite so whimsical, um, but it's got similar sorts of moves. Uh, all of them skittering. The cast of characters, apart from the spiders, are not markedly different from most of your apocalyptic novels uh, or indeed films. And yes, the film rights to this have been optioned. Uh, and as with many um, characters in these kind of things, their professions and their um, locations do make for them being uh, more uh, survivable than other characters in this. There is a bug doctor or a doctoress. Well, actually, she's um, she's quite an um, entomologist in this. She's a, a character who is going to be very, very important, you would imagine, in a... Uh, spider apocalypse situation. The US president, also a woman, her secret lover and White House chief of staff is the doctor's ex-husband. So I think they're trying to keep it all in the family in this one. Um, But that actually adds a little bit of extra motivation for the characters who still have feelings for each other and do their best to protect them. Um, Speaking of which, there's some government agents, uh, one of whom is divorced. He's still protecting his wife and child. It's all family matters here. Uh, continuing that, there's a grandfather and grandson detective thriller writing team who live on an isolated and self-contained Scottish island. Um, this is very much an international story with um, side sort of excursions to China and India to see how they fare. It's not just the United States. Um, I guess they're attempting a World War S there a little bit. Uh, oh, and of course there's the obligatory spider apocalypse, Messiah. <laughs> now, this approach does give me that usual bugbear, they, so to speak, that they switch between the characters too much in uh, successive chapters. You know how that is. You just get rolling with one character situation. Then we cut away, leaving them hanging on the cliff. Sometimes quite literally in this. The story escalates like a roller coaster and subsides back again just when you think you're safe. Uh, No, you're not. (laughs) And, of course, we get lots of little vignettes of um, people deserving or not, doesn't really matter here, who are either picked off individually or en masse. Does not help to be a bystander in this book. You should be running very, very fast, preferably not on your feet, but in a vehicle that can move even faster. But that doesn't necessarily help. Mr Boone has a lively sense of humour for somebody writing about people being wiped out wholesale. And these books actually remind me of another uh, apocalyptic um, scenario, Reign of Fire with the Dragons, uh, where they found the dragons buried in the earth for a very long time. And this... um, explained why we had a traditional sort of fear of dragons going back to our primal brain. The same thing applies here with the spiders. They even managed to get the uh, the um, the line uh, markings at uh, Nazca 
into this story too, which um, actually kind of made sense. So this is one of those ones where the survival procedural is kind of key. And, yeah, it makes sense what they do in this. There are some survivalists in here who are quite nice people. Um, they actually take go to great pains to s- stress that these are not your um, your redneck uh, um, against the government sort of uh, lunatics hanging out there with guns and bunkers and stuff. They do have bunkers and that, but they're actually quite, um, <laughs> quite well-to-do people who've just decided to take some precautions uh, against the fall of the world, wise in this case, uh, but also people who just enjoy the, the whole prepping thing just as a, an exercise. And I know there are people who, are, who do that. Uh, okay, it's called The Hatching and Skitter. That's the first two books in the Hatching trilogy. And it's by Ezekiel Boone. Couldn't get a better name for an apocalyptic story than that, could you? Oh, dear. And uh, actually, it makes me... No, we won't pursue that. We'll just leave it at that. Um, if you are an arachnophobe, you're probably not going to want to read this or even look at the cover, <laughs> especially of Skitter, which is just these big, massive spotters all coming at you. Yeah. The third book is called Zero Day. I don't know if that's out yet in, um, in hardback. I haven't seen it yet. But anyway, I'll put all the details of all this up on the Triple R website at rrr.org.au in the Zero G page. I'm Terry Prackett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 Triple R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 with three exclamation marks. All right, so uh, we've got uh, another one here on Zero G today. It's a classic. <laughs> he chuckles evilly. Actually, I don't know any other way to do that. DVD, but I remember it on video back in the day. Night of the Creeps, written and directed by Fred Decker, D-E-K-K-E-R, starring Tom Atkins, and this is a uh, an Umbrella DVD, which uh, only has one extra on it, an audio commentary with the cast. I love this to pieces. <laughs> and strangely enough, I was really, really surprised that I hadn't seen this back in the day. For some reason, this one just passed me by. Um, That's actually really unusual. And so I was quite delighted to run across this. Written and directed by Fred Decker, who did The the Monster Squad with Iron Man 3 director Shane Black. Uh, He also worked on Robocop 3 with Frank Miller. And the Tales from the Crypt television series spun off from the movies and the comic books and was the producer for Series 1 of Star Trek Enterprise. One of them, at least. Uh, he's also working on um, The Predator, the 2018 reboot of Predator with um, Shane Black doing the story. So it's a guy with some chops, some genre chops and slices and dices as well. Now, it's um, here we are talking about this in 2018. It's a movie from 1986, but it's set to begin with, in 1959. Uh, And a classic Plan 9 move. There are some aliens experimenting on uh, people and a terrible accident, deliberate problem is caused on this spaceship, uh, which 
sees an item fall to earth and uh, the beginnings of a sluggy infection, which is going to cause immense problems 27 years later in 1986 as um, the usual sort of... Uh, university problems become trivial for the students involved when a zombie apocalypse breaks out in their town at Corman University. Now, one of the delights of this story is it is, of course, a pastiche of so many different genres with so many call-outs to classic horror movies of uh, previous and current, then-current eras. Some of them still running to this day. So you'll find amongst the cast their characters' names. Chris Romero <laughs> is played by Jason Lively, who was uh, Rusty Griswold in National Lampoon's European Vacation. We also have uh, Jill Whitlow playing Cynthia Cronenberg. Um, and she actually is a, a uh, well, not exactly a prototypical um, ABS, ass-booting Sheila or butt-kicking chick in this story. She, uh, okay, you know, this is, a, this is a, a line that stretches back quite a way. But uh, in this particular B-movie genre, this is a, a sort of a groundbreaking role in Night of the Creeps. And she will woman up to face the zombie apocalypse in this story. Tom Atkins plays Detective or Sergeant Ray Cameron. Uh, saw him a lot back in the day in horror movies, um, Shane Black, um, John Carpenter, Richard Donner, Stephen King, um, George Romero. You'll recognise him from so many horror movies from that time if you're a fan. He often played police officers. In fact, so many that uh, I always wondered he'd be collecting like multiple police pensions. Honorary, of course, in his later years. He's actually a really good character in this. Uh, entirely burnt out, world weary, uh, one bad donut or a chain smoking day away from topping himself. Um, it's actually quite uh, nuanced <laughs> in this B movie performance. Um, there are so many others in this that are just reference, names referenced, uh, Detective Landis, Sergeant Raimi, you know how that goes. <laughs> this is actually the ultimate kind of um, uh, send-up, but not actual spoof. It, it kind of works in a serious level too. That's probably why Night of the Creeps has become a considerable cult classic in the years, and it's nice that Umbrella's brought it out on DVD for us to enjoy again. Okay, the special effects are not the greatest. Uh, you know, some of the production values are um, not B grade, but down into the Z grade. But still, this story has a lot of heart, and I don't mean just beating and dripping as it gets knocked out of some poor character's chest. Uh, yes, um, there is a reference to Plan Nine in the, in the movie. What else would a sorority house mum be watching on television? <laughs> And um, if you like uh, Peter Jackson's zombie work, as opposed to his ones that make you feel like a zombie when you're watching them for too long, uh, you'll get the references to um, lawn mowers as weapons of messy destruction. Uh, I don't know how the character in this managed to get avoid being totally drenched in gore without attaching the grass catcher to the mower. Uh, one of life's mysteries. Originally, I think uh, Fred Decker wanted to shoot this in uh, black and white, 
um, which would have been a good idea. I think it would have worked quite well there. But he's certainly not stinted on any of the other cliches, all the blinky lights on consoles, the slowly spinning computer tape reels. Uh, There's one classic moment in this where a policeman absorbed in paperwork walks past a um, a naked autopsied zombie walking up the the corridor and without even looking up as he passes just says, see you tomorrow. (laughs) It's that kind of uh, humour. Another great little exchange was uh, the sorority mum, I think, talking to... um, some of the girls, well, girls, I've got bad, good news and bad news. The good news is that your dates are here. And somebody asked inevitably, what's the bad news? Well, they're dead. Uh, that's the sort of kind of story that this is. Reminds me also a little bit um, of the more recent film, Freaks of Nature. I'm sure they uh, had obviously seen Night of the Creeps before and were in their own pastiche way, doing a bit of an homage to that too. So this is actually quite a uh, a classic B movie, and it's out from Umbrella Entertainment on a DVD. Not many extras, just a um, an audio commentary with a cast. But that's actually kind of fun. So maybe check it out if you please. Right, the poster looks pretty cool too on the front of the art. That's the original artwork, I think. Hi, I'm Dee Wallace. Over done with gone. With our particular take on the madness that is genre. So much of it out there at the moment. If you are attuned to the various streaming networks, there is so much dropping out there. Star Trek Discovery, The Good Place. Oh, it is, tell you, dead set. And I've seen that too. Hard to catch up with it all. You actually need to be cloned to do it, which is um, not necessarily a difficulty. Now, I wanted to have a look at an action figure, which I don't actually have in front of me, except I suppose I do. I have it in uh, digital form on the internet. Now, um, I've seen these around in the shops. Uh, There are stranger things in life, (laughs) but um, none than these toys. They're from McFarlane who've done quite a few premier action figures in their day. And it, of course, spirals off from the Netflix series Stranger Things. Uh, There's a a whole range of these. They look to be about um, 15 inches. Well, that's for one of them at least. The rest of them are all, sorry, not 15 inches, uh, 15 centimetres. And that's this particular figure. I think the the regular ones are more on the regular sort of six-inch action figure line. Uh, this particular wave includes most of the main characters, Dustin, Lucas, Mike and Will, the boys, and also Chief Hopper, who, according to the blurb, comes with a coffee cup as well as his uh, police-issue gun and his uh, classic hat. <laughs> uh, there's also a... I've got to say this, right? Take a run up at it. Uh, a demo gorgon which is one of the monsters of the piece. And one of the monsters, I guess you can call her, is Eleven, which um, looks terrific on the picture. It seems to include both a shaved head version of her and also um, also the, uh, the, the actual um, long hair that she has. She's in that rather weird combination of the... Uh, the blue jacket and the dress that she has in the show with the striped socks. 
Um, there's something in the packaging that I'm not sure of. Uh, it's hard to see online, but um, one of the it looks like a walkie-talkie that she's got there. I'd say that's probably most likely, and and a little round thing with um, a kind of a crosshatch print on it, which I had to um, again look up. And then I realised, of course, duh, that it's uh, a waffle. <laughs> So she comes with a waffle, and waffles, of course, are uh, one of the things that are uh, very important for the characters. What were they? Um, Kellogg's Ego, formerly Froffles, which is um, a band of frozen waffles sold in the US. <laughs> so she is uh, very much a fan of those in the um, in the series. Now, I think that uh, these ones <laughs> will not exactly sell like waffles, but uh, maybe like um, other hotcakes. And as I said, they are um, McFarlane toys. Um, Where do you get these sorts of things? People ask me that occasionally. Where does he get those toys? (laughs) Well, in this case, um, haven't got it, but uh, could get it from, where'd they see it? Uh, All-Star Comics. They probably have them in Minotaur. I'm talking about the local uh, specialist stores in Melbourne. Uh, these ones might not make it into uh, the regular uh, department store toy aisles, although or t- possibly Toys R Us. I don't know. You'd have to check that. Um, there is a, another source for these sorts of things, especially when they're in waves. So... Uh, and it's a place I discovered last year, I think, um, called the Little Toy Company. And that's actually an Australian company that ships in box sets so you can get the whole lot in one. Uh, and even with postage, they tend to be uh, – they can be a little bit cheaper than um, buying them one at a time at the premium prices that they have in the specialist stores uh, and sometimes in the uh, department stores. So I'll put a link up to that because um, they're quite uh, a useful – link to have in uh, if you happen to be a mad collector of toys here in Australia. Anyway, I'm sure there are other ones like that too. So, you know, although I've had no um, links with any of the other ones yet, but we'll find out. Okay, so um, that's a Stranger Things uh, set of uh, toys. There aren't 11 in the series, but there is an 11 in it. So check those out. Now, Hi, this is Corey McAbee from Stingray Sam and the American Astronaut, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR FM. He does the things that folks don't do that need to be done. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could say that the way he does that. But I'll just settle with doing the rest of the show, such as it is for today. Rob Jan here with Zero G, about to away we go, just about. So coming up to... Um, the time when we get out of here. Kate coming in with Astral Glamour. Yeah, I think that's about it for Zero G today. Not sure what we'll be up to next week. I'm sure there's a slew of new shows and movies coming out next week and maybe a few books. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.